Hi there, welcome to episode three yeah. of Right Where You're Sitting Now. I'm Ken Eakins. Paul Banneker. And uh, yeah, we're part two of our Trace Experience interview. Yes, this is the better part of the the interview. You reckon? It, yeah, I think it, uh, both of you warmed up for the uh, for the ending. It sounds, the, uh, what was said is much more interesting. Uh, you reckon? Yeah, I don't know. I quite like the first one myself. It's got lots of... Uh, no, I, th- I think we've left the best for the, uh, for the <laughs> last. <laughs> the best for last. <laughs> for last, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, I just want to thank people that have... Uh, emailed us and um, yeah, left us comments we've even been linked on a couple of uh, other sites stubberdub.com I think it is and um, and Geek Show who we spoke to in the uh, two of them anyway in the first episode they've given us a nice little mention on their website that was nice of them and it was quite surprising we got quite a few uh, got loads of downloads yeah. for this one yeah. obviously uh, well it's not that surprising really because loads of people do like Trey's experiences work I suppose isn't it I don't know, I always download interviews with them and stuff, so it's good though, it's great, good for the, we've had a lot of downloads, that's always good. <coughs> yeah, I guess his fans are always out looking for for stuff on the internet. Yeah, cause, I mean, there's not a lot, Yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, there's quite a lot of gaps between it. Anyway, yeah, next episode we've got someone really, really cool. Yeah, this is... This is going to be good, the next episode is going to be excellent. We've got amazing. Uh, Reverend Ivan Stang from the Church of the Subgenius, and uh, I was really desperate to get him on the show as well and we've uh, we're just arranging when we're going to interview and we're hoping it's going to be the next episode so uh, we did think that we seem to think things are going to be on the next episode and then it turns out to be something completely different but yeah, uh, yeah so uh, but yeah we've got some other good guests coming up as well we've got the uh, the expert on Crowley Alistair Crowley that's going to be cool we've got an expert on the occult as well just generally that's going to be cool we've got a lot of stuff coming up uh, a couple of writers yeah it's all good it's all good and so yeah this episode we talked to Trey about stuff well we, we won't say now what we talked to him about but yeah it's, I've, yeah, it is a good episode uh, it's a good interview I think I would go as far to say this is the best interview ever <laughs> <laughs> ever I'm not sure about that yeah so coming up next we've got the um, second part of the Trey Spirits interview if you haven't listened to the first episode Trey was the guitarist in Mr Bungle who's played guitar on Faith Moore's King for a Day record he's in Secret Chiefs 3 who are amazing he's in Asva also amazing you're a big fan of Asma, aren't you, Paul? Yes, I am. Yeah, the new album we've just got hold of it. It's excellent. It is amazing indeed. It's really, really good. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll cut to that. Before that, make sure you come and join the site. There's a 
finally got it sorted now there's a login section so you can log in and leave comments and you know, tell us how rubbish we are or if you like it and that's at sittingnow.co.uk which is s-i-t-t-i-n-g-n-o-w.co.uk and you can email me on ken at sittingnow.co.uk and paul at paul at sittingnow.co.uk that's it that's it let's roll the interview what bands are actually on Mimicry at the moment? Because there seems to be a bit of a, a shift going on with the bands on there. Yeah, there's pretty much nothing. But we, have, besides Secret Chiefs, we have uh, a new, couple of new things starting up. We have Girth, which is a, a guy who's been drumming in the um, Secret Chiefs recently, and his friend Dave. Really amazing, hyperkinetic, crazy music. And then there's a really, really stylish surf rock band called The Diminished Men, that are really just a uh, man, just a totally authentic, real surf rock band. I'm really happy to be w- working with them, but that's just all in the future. Uh, currently, or you know, in the past, from from what's still standing, there's Secret Chiefs and Facts Head, and what else? I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> Is this the? Um... Was it did these bands leave the label because of Stratosphere? Oh no, and... no, yeah, yeah. It was um, you know we've been touring with um, with Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum a lot and stuff, and um, they went on to the the End Records, which is a label based here in the United States. It's all it's a very good move. Like to me, I mean, you know, Mimicry's tiny. There's no way with a band that is getting as big as Sleepy Time was that we could really provide what they needed. Um. So them moving on is the whole point of me even having a label at this level. I'm not in the business to like hold on to. These are my friends. You know, I'm not trying to like hold on to them. I want them to do well. So if, if they get to a point where they can move up in the world, man, great, fantastic. Because I, man, I don't have the time to run a fucking label. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If I had somebody, if I had an employee, you know, I, I would get a little bit more business savvy about it. And uh, I, I haven't really met people who really actually understand there's a lot of good intentions out there but i mean anybody who who's involved in a record label knows man you gotta there's a lot of uh, different things involved in it i'm not going to start taking it that seriously that because it'll totally consume me as an artist yeah so until i meet somebody who will take all of that stuff over i'm just not going to worry about it it certainly has the capacity to be a real label like when we did we did a the campaign a big nice campaign with sleepy time and they were very successful with that. So, like, you know, if there's people who are go-getters the way they are, you know, people who are really into do-it-yourself the way I am, you know, uh, who are self-determined and are just going to make it happen, um, then, you know, this label can kick into gear and it'll work. It works. You know, it works great. I don't really meet very many musicians who are like that. Usually people want to just kind of make the music and then sit back and let somebody else take care of the business. Yeah. That is not going to work on <laughs> record. <laughs> doesn't work that way. So, I mean, it, it, what is your day job at the moment? Because I, I assumed it was mimicry, but by the sounds of it, um, it's not. Yeah, it is. Like, <clears throat> because Secret Chiefs is very active now, and, uh, you know, we have a, a store and everything where we do mail order. Yeah. That's that's essentially my day job is that and commandeering the... Uh, everything that goes on with the secret chiefs at this point yeah which is definitely plenty that's enough to keep <laughs> anybody full-time busy that's cool so um what happened to stratosphere as well that was the other band i was going to ask you about because are they on the same label as sleepy time now as well 
Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of a, a similar thing with them. Like they had gotten to a point where it's like, okay, I mean, they they are also very good do-it-yourselfers, and um, probably had moved up to the point where they could could move move forward. So they went to the end records, which was, I think, also very good for them. Although their their situation is a little different because they're not. Um, Let's just say they're not as quite as well-oiled of a machine as, as Sleepy Time is. They seem to switch members around quite a bit at the moment. Well, they didn't they... One of the main guys left recently, I think. The saxophone player, was it? Yeah, there's just a lot of... Yeah, they have a lot of... Um, it's a very dynamic and volatile situation in that band. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of spending that goes on that is um, makes things kind of hard for them. So I guess what I'm saying is when they went to the end, it was... Uh, it was a financially good move for them. I don't. I don't know that it was the perfect situation for the end, just because it was. You know, the stratosphere is like I, the way I see it. Is you you got to be friends with them and be able to sort of walk them through stuff in order for the right things to happen. Sometimes, yeah. And like you know, no label is going to spend their time doing that. You know. Yeah. And uh, so it was. It's a different, that's a little bit different of a situation with Sleepy Time. Um, but, you know, so a couple of those guys play in Secret Chiefs, and it's uh, it's all a very amicable situation. I like the end records. The, the people who work there, I fully intend to actually put out something with them myself. Oh, what, like a Secret Chiefs 3 record? or? Hey, uh, we're going to do a Holy Vem record through them. All right, cool. And that's, there's two Holy Vem tracks on Book of Horizons, isn't there? They're the two really heavy ones. Is that the right one? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, because they they specialize in kind of progressive, like, you know, metal, metal that's from a futuristic point of view or something. I don't I don't know how to characterize it, but yeah, um, got the, the metal kind of infrastructure and, and all of that. And they're just really nice guys. So putting out a record with them makes really good sense if it's going to be a super crazy fucking death metal record. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds about right.
an interview with you recently where you're talking about um, how like the internet has like completely changed the way you have to run your label now as well. Is it, could you elaborate on that a bit? I guess like piracy and stuff like that. Is, is do you have you felt the hit of piracy? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> with piracy, like you know, it's just part of the of being alive in the modern times. You know, yeah. It's not like you're gonna fight it and win. That that will never happen. I have no illusions about it. Um, but as far as um, see, we're really lucky. Like, I think because the label is so intimately um, intertwined with Secret Chiefs. But the people who listen to to our music are they're very loyal and they're very concerned about what happened. Like, I mean, we do these big, huge productions, and we take a ton of people on the road. All of that takes a lot of money, you know. Yeah. And the cool thing is that our fans, I think, they they understand that, and they understand that if you know, this isn't a matter of somebody just wants to sit around and like make a lot of money. I think everybody realizes that it takes money to actually produce the music to the level that everybody likes it at, you know, actual played, recorded and arranged music. So it seems that, that people are, are very willing to buy our, our actual records, you know, so we can still, we're one of the few people, I think label wise, or at least band wise, that can still depend to a certain extent on people buying the record and buying the CD. Yeah, which is just a, an amazing blessing. Like we're in an amazing fucking situation. Uh, otherwise, it's just a disaster. Like there's no, uh, there's no way I can sign like a new band and put out a CD because we won't even make the manufacturing cost back. It just won't happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's or you know just what I'm talking about is like taking a chance on a new band, like some new ideas, nothing nothing established but just something that should be out there something that it, with Mimicry Records that's what I've always done is put out stuff that I felt like man this is really good and people should have it it should be available they should they should be able to get it and really I can't do it anymore because we've lost so much money doing stuff like that and uh, just learned that there's no unless you have an actual functioning label that can act, that has a built in <laughs> thing you you know which we don't have, yeah. not really. It's not going to happen. So it's stupid to even try, you know. Yeah. That's all because of fucking downloading, and there's no. I'm not going to lie and try to mollycoddle people and say, "Oh, it's fine. Music is free." You know, that's fucking bullshit. You, it <laughs> cannot be done because everybody is pirating it. That's it. Yeah. It hurts the little guy. The secret chiefs. Yeah, we'll we'll probably make it. You know, but everything else, everything else is getting fucked. Yeah, definitely. It's just the reality. Yeah, I mean, I was felt it was. Uh, I, I mean, I download music sometimes, but generally just to sort of as a taster almost. And then if I like the record, especially if it's an independent one, I'll buy the actual record because I want to hear more music from that that artist. I guess. I find that there's. I mean, see, I think that's great because this this thing it kind of brings out the best in people. I I hear I hear that like what you just said from yeah. people and. I actually believe it, man. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. remarkable. That's incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I think the majors will find a way of kind of working their way around it. But like you were saying, the independents are going to be really, really screwed. I think it's going to get, just going to get worse by the sounds of things. Yeah, I, I'm mostly worried about, you know, just 
to me, it's about production quality. Yeah, sure. Okay, I don't mind not making money on stuff. That's what we do. We break even when we do stuff. Yeah. But when we do stuff, we're doing stuff with 10 people on the road. Mm. And we're, you know, we're making records with 22 people. We're going into big studios. All of that costs tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that has to, so I'm still just breaking even, but because we're, quote, making all this money, that enables me to do the big production stuff. Well, see, that's, that's what's at risk here. What's at risk is the quality of production. If everybody's happy with these plastic canned crappy digital productions then fine you know go ahead pirate all the fucking music you want you know and and that's that but to me it's you know if i was just starting out and trying to do kind of lavish productions there would be no way yeah the only way to do it is because i have a name and because i'm able to kind of throw these ideas out there and you know get get at least a, you know enough money generated that I can pull it off. Yeah. But man, if I didn't have that, there'd be no chance in hell. None in hell. Yeah. And that's fun. Another thing I found interesting with the internet, I at first when it also you know, when music became viable on the internet, I thought it, it might introduce people to better bands, you know, because there's more access to music, but I don't know if you agree that what I found is that worse music seems to have got more popular. I don't know if that's it seems to have made absolutely yeah. right. I mean, there are exceptions. Like there are people who have sense enough to look, you know, in the right places and you know, dig and you know, build up these great libraries of really good, you know, downloaded music. But as far as the overall social effect, man, I, how can what you're saying be disputed? Yeah. <laughs> the, not only has there been this endless proliferation of crappier and crappier stuff, but I think that the amount of quality material that's been sweated over has gone drastically down. Yeah. And that's, that's fucked too. You know, and that's what I'm worried about. I think a lot of that is, I'm not going to say that, you know, economics is solely responsible, but let's, let I, I want to, here, let me bring this up. Okay. If you're happy with um, everything, your idea of like authentic, good music, being nothing other than let's say like a Bob Dylan type of model like a, a guitar and a harmonica yeah. I, I mean I, I agree that's a totally authentic real stuff that happens on, on that level it's really true honest and good music but is that all I mean is that all Bill, should we get into a situation where that's the only kind of authentic music we can make is this with a with an acoustic guitar and a harmonica. Yeah. I mean, is is the the idea of an ensemble uh, worth being sacrificed? You know, we just get rid of the whole idea of the ensemble because, well, you know, you can still make authentic music with no fucking money and being a hobo. Well, that's true. I agree. You know, but does that mean Beethoven bullshit? I, I mean, to me, it doesn't. I don't know. We we have no no way of doing Beethoven at this point, you know, without the the strong arm of the of kind of post aristocratic funding. Mm. Personally, I wish I saw more of that. You know, in this great brave new world where everything is downloading and everything is free, 
it would be really wonderful if you saw some sort of patronage of the arts rise up out of that somehow. Yeah, yeah. But that absolutely has not happened either, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, the majors, definitely, their way of adapting seems to be to jump behind really kind of throwaway pop bands again, which is horrible to watch. And then people really <laughs> seem to enjoy it. That's the thing I don't understand, but it's crazy. I, I, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'm a total dick here. I'm sure people get really sick of hearing this stuff. But, I mean, you know, it does have to be laid at the foot of the consumer more than anything. We can point our fingers at the big evil record companies, but, I mean, they're making money because they are they know how to make money. Yeah. Because people buy certain things, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if our attitude is that, you know, well, this is just here to entertain me and I don't care, then that's, you know, then, of course, the, the big companies are going to get powerful because they're going to provide that shitty, oh, it's just there to entertain you so you don't have to care bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're always going to be there pandering to that. Yeah, definitely. So if the demands changed, then maybe something would happen, different would happen, but until then, forget it. Do you see anything good about the way the internet's changed music? Yeah, I do. Like, I actually think, and this is something that people, um, again, a lot of people who are really internet savvy would think this was totally lame. But I think MySpace is good. I think it's fucking amazing for music. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it, it, if you, you know, bands can get, or musicians can get their ideas out there and everyone in the world can hear them and yeah. respond to them. I'm getting, I get letters from people everywhere in the fucking world and exchange, you know, uh, musical ideas with them, get into nice sort of pen pal relationships with people from everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's not really downloading. It's you with putting your music up there and saying, Hey, check it out. Yeah. That's fucking awesome, man. That's really good. I love that. Yeah. It's a shame about the, the sound quality on MySpace is a bit annoying, but that's a, my only real problem with it, I think. I think it's pretty well understood that this is, you know, that MySpace is just a sort of a, it's like an advertisement, you know? Yeah, like a sampler. It, yeah, it's not the real thing. It's just here, here's what I do. And that's wonderful. I mean, that I think that's absolutely the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, it's definitely, it makes it, I think it also connects promoters and uh, labels and distri distributors together as well in a way that wasn't around before. Absolutely. I've met like four booking agents and uh, I mean, I've met all kinds of amazing people on MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Fucking great for music. Yeah, definitely.
there definitely seems to be occult undertones in the music definitely and like kind of early like i guess kind of golden dawn rosicrucian kind of elements to the music and i was wondering where does that all come from is this a personal interest of yours or no it's um i think in a way yeah it feels it feels occult maybe because i don't know i, I have this sense that that things are uh, have been buried so deeply and that um let's just take the like a word like the truth for instance you know we're we just sort of scoff at it automatically like the truth yeah <laughs> And you know, and that we're supposed to submit readily to the idea that not only is there no truth, but let's just say if there were such thing as truth, that it would all be relative, and it would be my truth against your truth, and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, to me, that's you know, that right there is a very clear example of of what the word occult should mean. It's it's something that's hidden from view, ocular. You know, it's been uh, ocularly we're we're ocularly deprived, and we're if ocularly ocularly deprived of something like even the concept or even the word of truth, then that means that we have to dig uh, into something in order to get to it. And so I guess my I would postulate that what we have to dig into is ourselves. Um, and for Secret Chiefs, you know, I I guess it's a reflection of my own sort of digging uh, into myself, trying to locate that, trying to trying to locate truth or other things that have been lost. And um, in doing so, there are texts and there are um, let's say strains of thought or schools of the spirit that. Um, that have helped, I guess, lead me to places that I I feel are closer to that. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I've been I've been pretty open about that, you know, um, in the music about what those strains are uh, and how I feel about them. So um, I guess the fact that some of the source material is it does come across as really obscure um, because it is steeped in the and it, it's the thing of if you know if that if the symbolic language that's discovered in some of these I don't know texts or in, really in any of the um, spiritual traditions you do find these you know things that that do seem a little bit um, you know that they're obscure they take you farther away from understanding rather than closer to it but that's a matter of the, the digging within that I was talking about like after a while. I became more cognizant, I guess, or just more accepting of the fact that there there are differences between these symbolic landscapes for whatever their um, things they have in common are. I mean, it's easy; it's very tempting to say, "Well, that's all the same everywhere," you know? Yeah. Because you can find correspondences between all of these things, and they're there. That's the beautiful thing: is that those correspondences exist, and that is because. You know, you're closer to that that thing that you're looking for. You're you're recognizing that there is such thing as a universal, at least, idea of truth. Yeah. If not that the truth is the same everywhere, at least there's a universal idea of it. Well, um, with some anomalies here and there that that are 
you'd have to interpret them as being the, the lack of truth or the, the disregarding of the need for truth or, or something like that. Yeah. It's but it's, it, it, that, I think all of that brings you up to the point where you begin to crave the experience of it rather than the, um, or, you know, in, in a deeper sense than the feeding the, the conceptual need for it, for that unifying thing, like that the, sort of a restoration of, a, of unity in a union sense, you would trade that in. Uh, you would trade it in for an actual immersion or experience of it. Yeah, definitely. So to me, like occultation and the very notion of it, that there's even been such a phenomenon as, quote, the occult is, is anomalous in and of itself. Yeah. The fact that that has become a fetishized practice unto itself, in you know, in distinction against all of the, um, I don't know, more visible ways that we've known. I mean, it's understandable. We live in this postmodernist era. We live in the post-Nietzsche era. But at the same time, it's also, it's sort of like you know, if Hitler, you know, Hitler went and he destroyed. He essentially destroyed uh, Christianity. Let's just say that, yeah. and maybe maybe that form of Christianity deserved to be destroyed in Europe. I don't know. It's not for me to say. But let's let's face it: we allowed Hitler to destroy it. Hitler destroyed it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, are, are we going to accept that? Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I don't. This is why I don't accept the sort of nihilistic occultism shit at all. Yeah. Because it's bullshit. There seems to be definitely a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of people, whenever I show them one of your records, they're always, oh, that's you know, an occult record. And I've, you kind of try and explain that it, it isn't, but they just really won't believe it. I think the name, The Secret Chiefs, obviously has a lot of uh, attachment to well, at least it appears to have a lot of attachment to the the group, the Golden Dawn. <laughs> this is all my fault. Here, here I am pointing fingers. Yeah, it's totally my fault, man. <laughs> what, I've always had it. It's always been a sort of a light. It's been a bit of a, a parodic title. Yeah. Um, the Secret Chiefs. Because to me, the, the, the very idea that there are hidden masters behind the scenes that are pulling puppet strings on your destiny is sick. Like, it's a totally crazy thing um, to actually hand that power over to something invisible that is essentially a manifestation of your paranoia and of your fear. Um, I definitely just want to have fun with that and sort of laugh about it because it's so ridiculous just to hand those puppet strings over to this unnamed phenomenon, whether they're temporal or atemporal. Yeah. So I guess my strategy in doing that is to to laugh that whole idea off. I mean, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so retarded. the reason you didn't work with Zorn for ages because of what you said about Weird Little Boy? Um, 
you know, I don't think so. We just, you know, I, I just wasn't really around anymore. Like, I, I don't live in San Francisco anymore. Yeah. And I hadn't been to New York very much. I, I, I'm pretty sure he was aware of how I felt about, I mean, there were more reasons than, or more things than that. Like, I, I just wasn't playing improv anymore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think he, you know, he's sensitive enough to know that I'm just not into it, you know. And uh, what was cool was when when we did reconnect, it was it was really because of the stone, and because when I went there and I saw what he was doing with it, I really admired, you know, the the whole model that he was using, which was, I mean, it's a fucking incredible place. You, the artists make 100 percent of what comes in the door. Yeah. And he has, you know, artist curators. And they set their own price, don't they, as well? What's that? You set your own price as well if you curate, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. It's the fucking best thing in the world. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I started kind of getting involved there, doing stuff there. And and then when he came and saw Secret Chiefs play when Avon's curated, uh, I think, he, you know, he just liked it. He liked what we were doing. And that's when he gave me the, the Book of Masada stuff. And then after that, you know, when he comes through town, he invites me to go see his shows. And quite frankly, man, I, what he's been writing recently has been good. Like, he, what I always loved about Zorn was his actual compositional, um, like his more detailed compositional side, maybe less the improv thing and, and more of the actual writing, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's pretty good. And so that, like, you know, I actually, because I had it in my own head for a while, like, well, I don't think that Zorn's ever going to go back to writing. Like, I, I think he's just satisfied doing more improv-based stuff, and I'm just not interested in that. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised. I started seeing these gigs that, that he was doing, and they were all compositional stuff. So yeah. it was cool. I was actually quite genuinely enthusiastic about the direction he's taking as an artist. Yeah, I saw, we're, but, we're going to see him in Paris, actually. He's in the uh, like four or five days curating a, uh, I think it's City de Music in Paris. And uh, he's doing the ah. Six Litanies album. I don't know if you heard that one. Which one is it? Six Litanies for Hegabolius, I think it's called. I still have not heard that one. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's it's quite, it's kind of all over the place, but it's, you know, it's compositional again. It's really, really good, actually. I was surprised how good that one was. <laughs> it was good. Excellent. I should definitely check that out. Yeah. yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like I I definitely, yeah, I, I had sort of had it. With that weird little boy thing, there was a lot of other stuff. It wasn't really about Zorn. Like, even the things that I said, they were not directed really at Zorn at all. It was, I was frustrated that we were, we were spending our time doing these little one-off records together that were not really very well thought out. And I, I'm just a stickler for that. Like, I, I don't know. It's something in my fucking classical training. I don't think so, man, because I don't really have classical training. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I have a respect for composition, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I, that's just what I like. So I, I'm coming at it from a different point of view than jazz or whatever, you know? Yeah, definitely. No, it's, uh, it's just frustrating when I'm sitting with a fuck in a room full of people who can, can compose music brilliantly and who can play music brilliantly. And what what are we doing? We're just sort of jerking off. Like that, <laughs> it just really bugged me. You know what I mean? It just got to me, and I freaked out. Yeah, yeah. I probably went a little bit haywire on it, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good purge, you know. Yeah, no, it probably meant you didn't have to do any more of the improv stuff, I guess. But 
yeah, I walked away pretty pretty solidly. You know? <laughs> but it's great. It's been super great to reconnect with Zorn and you know, yeah, yeah, see what he's been up to in the meantime. Awesome, man. Cool, excellent. Well, thanks a lot again. Thank you, Ken. Okay, see you in a bit. Bye bye. We'll see you, man. Bye bye. we're back that was uh, Trace Brintz from Secret Chiefs 3 and Asva uh, I thought that was a really good interview I don't know uh, any final thoughts Mr. Banneker yeah I, I thought that was the uh, it was more interesting this this bit of the interview it was it was more serious it was the about the um, the influence the internet has on, on music which is a current issue I yeah, guess it is a moment. very current yeah. issue it's interesting because I, I said before I mean I'll occasionally uh, put my finger in the cookie pot or hand in the cookie pot wherever the saying is and take some music but then generally I will buy it but then it seems that a lot of people don't do that they'll just literally just take the music and uh, you know yeah I guess it does it does also help uh, musicians though like he mentioned MySpace yeah though the uh, the most interesting bit he said was the uh, the need for a patron of the arts and the fact that there isn't one and I think uh, uh, John Zorn is trying to uh, bypass this problem by uh, actually composing music for other musicians. It is very difficult to uh, actually write your own music, have your own record label, play your music, and uh, yeah. it's just too much. I guess you need to choose. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a problem. I thought what you were saying about people just accepting bad quality music was a, is a worrying thing, I think, personally. But uh, on that down note... <laughs> it's not really a, a down note, and... Uh, <laughs> Again, in what happened with the composer, like he mentioned Beethoven, he had a patron which would pay for his, uh, well, basically for his mind to do whatever whatever he wanted. And uh, I guess what happened later in, in the in the century, we had there were composers which wrote the music but did not play it. Some many of them did not actually ever hear the, their own music, and I guess. This may be what John Zorn is drawing now, just writing music for several musicians and maybe the only way out of it. Yeah, but I mean, he does produce his own compositions that he plays on, but I think, uh, yeah, as we know, we're going to see him in Paris, but... Yes, we will. Yeah, that's good. He cannot play every single thing he does, though. No, he's, he writes way too much. But anyway, yeah, um, thanks for listening. This has been episode three. Uh, we're having really good fun doing these. I am, definitely. I don't know about you, Paul. No, that was enlightening. Yeah, enlightening? enlightening <laughs> that was enlightening <laughs> well that enlightened thought make sure you check out the website at sittingnow.co.uk um, like I said earlier email either Ken or Paul at sittingnow.co.uk uh, next week Ivan Stang we hope yep. fingers crossed we hope so yeah that would be amazing good. that would be really amazing and uh, yeah see you next week <laughs>